Thanks for downloading this podcast from Brum Radio. For more programs, search our podcast page at brumradio.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the January 2018 edition of the Brum Radio Book Show. This month, we have an interview with Andrew Michael Hurley, author of The Loney, and our book of the month, Devil's Day. We also have a review of thrillers from 2017 and what to look forward to in 2018 from Helen Seddon, best-selling novelist and author of Try Not to Breathe and Don't Close Your Eyes. In the studio, we had novelist Mike Gale and Catherine O'Flynn, as well as Blake Woodham and Stuart Bartholomew from Waterstones. Due to a technical fault, the very start of the show didn't record live, so there's a little bit missing from this recording. But first of all, let's hear from Andrew Michael Hurley, telling us a little bit about Devil's Day. Devil's Day is narrated by a character called John Pentecost, who is a farmer's son from a small farming community called the Endlands, uh, which is on the edge of the uh, Lancashire Moors. He's been living away from this community for about ten years, and he's been working as a teacher down in Suffolk. Uh, where he's got married and he and his wife are expecting their first child. Uh, At the start of the novel, his grandfather, who's known uh, by everyone as the gaffer, dies, and so John and Kat come back to the valley uh, for his funeral. But they're also there to work. uh, The end of October is the time of year when the sheep are brought down from the moors to the farmhouse, and traditionally all the the farming families have pitched in and and helped, and so John and Kat are uh, kind of obliged to, to do this as well. And John has found this really newfound sense of duty and obligation to, to come back there. So he's very, very keen to, to stay in this farming community and raise his child there and keep his family farm going. Katz, as an outsider, is a little less uh, sure that this is what she wants to do. And so the novel becomes uh, about that decision about whether they, they stay or whether they go. Blake loved the novel and talked about it with the author. The, the novel does have a remarkable sense of place and landscape. To what extent did the landscape come before the characters when you were writing it? Very much like The Loney, it was the starting point uh, of the novel. Um, and I wanted the uh, farming community to live very closely with the land. Uh, it, it was their profession, it was their work, and had been for many, many generations. And the landscape really informed how those people lived with each other, how they, how they spoke, what they spoke about as well, what their preoccupations were, what their concerns were. Um, there's an awful lot of ancestor worship, so uh, John and his, his grandfather, the gaffer, talk an awful lot about uh, the old Pentecost, the old members of the family, and go right back to the first settlers there, the Norsemen. Um, so you see, it was really a place that informed how people existed, I, I guess. So the, the work that they do there is, is kind of everything to them. The The book also seems to exist in a slightly ambiguous time um, it, it, there's, there's cars and there's, there's trains but do you in your mind know when it was set or was it always vague to you as well it's sort of contemporary-ish I suppose um, it, I wanted it really to have that effect that it, time existed almost sort of simultaneously, simultaneously in a way and they talk an awful lot about the, the past and they're also thinking towards the future uh, as well so John says at one point that no one really ever owns the, the, the farm. They're always uh, acting as a custodian. They're just, they're just there to, to pass it on to the next generation. Um, so there is this effect, I think, that time overlaps. Um, and I think what it does as well is that it creates a different kind of experience um, for, for the people who live there. Because they're always telling stories about uh, the past, 
it, they're almost sort of able to access that that time again through basically through ritual through the devil's day ritual for for example and so they have a very different experience with time to people who don't live in that way um it is much more um nuanced i think and i think it it means that their lives just have purpose and they they, they have a, a reason for for doing what they do the lonely similarly had religion very much central to it in this case with devil's day it's 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 less overt do you think you will always have that thread in your writing of religion mm. I, I, I certainly the, the two novels that have written so far have, have uh, featured religion in in some respect or a kind of spirituality uh, i think it's something which really fascinates me i was brought up as a, as a roman catholic and i'm very very lapsed um, but I think that an awful lot of it has stayed with me, and an interest in in religion and faith, particularly, has, has really stayed with me. Um, as has the, the sort of language of, of prayers and, and hymns, and uh, so it, it is a sort of continuing fascination that I have really about what we believe in and, and how we want to live, and um, and, the, and the strangeness of it as well. I, th- I think it's only as an adult that I've really noticed how strange an upbringing I had as a Catholic, really. You know, sort of every Sunday you would go to a, a church and look at images of torture, <laughs> for example, and you don't think of anything, anything much of it as a kid. But as an adult, that's an odd way to Drinks odd way to live. Yeah, and it's and, and I think it's the idea of ritual and myth and mysticism um, that I think we we kind of yearn for in some ways. I mean, we sort of need, I think, in some ways as well. It, it seems that a life without those things would. Feels slightly empty in some way. Quite what that, how that would manifest itself in a, in a sort of secular sense, I, I don't really know. But um, I think there is a, there is a, a need for some kind of spirituality in some way. The, the novel does have a remarkable sense of place and landscape. To what extent did the landscape come before the characters when you were writing it? Very much like the Loney, it was a starting point uh, of the novel, um, and I wanted the uh, farming community to live very closely with the land. Uh, it, it was their profession, it was their work, and had been for many, many generations. And the landscape really informed how those people lived with each other, how they, how they spoke, what they spoke about as well, what their preoccupations were, what their concerns were. Um, there's an awful lot of ancestor worship, so uh, John and his, his grandfather, the gaffer, talk an awful lot about uh, the old Pentecost, the old members of the family, and go right back to the first settlers there, the Norsemen. Um, so it's a, it was really a place that informed how people existed, I, I guess. So the, the work that they do there is, is kind of everything to them. The, the book also seems to exist at a slightly ambiguous time. Um, it, it, there's, there's cars and there's, there's trains, but do you in your mind know when it was set, or is it always vague to you as well? It's sort of contemporary-ish, I suppose. Um, it, I wanted it really to have that effect that it, time existed almost sort of simultaneously, simultaneously in a way. And they talk an awful lot about the, the past, and they're also thinking towards the future uh, as well. So John says at one point that no one really ever owns the the, the farm; they're always uh, acting as a custodian. They just they just had to, to pass it on to the next generation. Um, so there is this effect, I think, that time overlaps. Um, and I think what it does as well is that it, it creates a different kind of experience um, for, for the people who live there. 
because they're always telling stories about uh, the past, it, they're almost sort of able to access that that time again through basically through ritual, through the Devil's Day ritual, for for example. And so they have a very different experience of time to people who don't live in that way. Um, it is much more um, nuanced, I think, and I think it it means that their lives just have purpose and they they, they have a, a reason for for doing what they do. Devil's Day is written from the point of view of, of uh, John Pentecost, and it's written in the first person, but we don't really get to know him very much until really quite far on in the novel. Was it hard to kind of rein in revealing too much? Because it, it feels very much like we're getting a slow drip of, of a very buttoned-down person. So it's always, it's always really interesting for a writer to play around with narrative voice, um, particularly an unreliable uh, narrator. Uh, like John, and I think that um, it allows you to, to to pace a novel in a particular way. It allows you to reveal or withhold certain things to to the reader, which I think works exceptionally well when you're writing in the gothic mode or supernatural mode, whatever label we want to to put on on uh, on Devil's Day. Because um, I think for me, it's always those kinds of books by writers like Shirley Jackson, M. R. James, for example, where you're you're not quite sure what what's happened. Um, or quite what the motivation of the evil in those stories has been, and you maybe have a glimpse of something. Those are really powerful. Those are the kinds of stories that stay with me and haunt, and haunt me. And so that was what I was trying to achieve with Devil's Day, really. With John, gradually, 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 you come to understand what he's all about, really. And you begin to understand that his loyalties have shifted from Cat to the Valley. So her wants and needs actually become completely secondary to the needs of the family, uh, the Pentecost, to the to the community, to the valley, to the land, to the farm, and so he becomes absolutely zealous about this place continuing. And that was that was quite an interesting surprise to me as a writer. I didn't expect him to to go in that direction, but he he began to take on a life of his own, really, which is always fascinating when when that happens. The Loney and Devil's Day are in some ways companions, some ways sort of mirrors of each other. Um, do you? Is it a trilogy you're tending to round off? Do you think there's there's more in this kind of vein? That was my intention when I first started writing novels. I wanted to write a loose trilogy that was uh, of novels that were set in places that hitherto hadn't really been explored in literature before. Uh, so the first one was The Loney More Convey, the second one Devil's Day in, in the, the Forest of Boland. Um, the third one, uh, at the moment, I'm, I'm toying with the idea of writing something about the uh, the Cumbrian Mountains. Um, quite where that'll take me, I'm not in, entirely sure, but I, I think there's, there's something quite interesting uh, about the experience of being in mountains and being in those high places uh, that's maybe not been explored in, in contemporary fiction uh, that that much recently. So that, that feels to me like an area that'll be interesting territory for me as a writer. So that was uh, Andrew Michael Hurley. Uh, talking about his work, Devil's Day, mm. and you're listening to Brum Radio Book Show. Now, um, while uh, Andrew was talking, uh, we were talking, <laughs> and um, Blake mentioned that uh, he actually knows this this area where the, the books set. Yeah, so the the nearest town is Clitheroe uh, right. in Lancashire, which is where my mum lives. So I know it very well, and uh, it, it 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 does have it's it's a nestled in a valley with Pendle Hill over the top of it and one of the things that you have in in Clitheroe which is weird when you first go there is because it's very famous for the Pendle Witches there's road signs that are literally just the proper official brown road signs that are just a picture of a witch and an arrow 
Um, and they're all over the place. They don't lead to anywhere in particular, but you could follow them and it would just take you in a big circle. But they are... That's what a witch would do. You know, official, official sort of witch. And, and, and the kind of witchy kind of vibe. But the, this, this Pendle Hill, which overlooks it all, it's, just, it's, it's, it's not a lovely you know, um, hillside with, with, with um, sheep gambling on it and stuff. It's just, it looks very Menacing. cold and wet and oppressive and it's sometimes snow-capped. Um, and uh, this novel does this absolutely brilliantly. The, the first, I'd say, 45 pages or so of this book is, is, one, of the, is one of the best openings in a novel I've read in many, in many uh, moons because he, the characters simply get off a train and they drive through the valley and it takes them to the end lands where the action is set. Um, but the process of doing it, um, it, it, it describes the landscape. It gives us a perfect setting of what it is, a perfect um, introduction to all the characters, the locations we're going to meet. We totally understand this place by the time they kind of arrive at their final destination. And it's provided us with this absolute perfect, and it's just an absolute masterclass of writing. You know, even if you're not going to read the whole book, I'd suggest just read that for, for a kind of real, you know, lovely description. It describes there's an old corner shop with um, that, um, do you remember that paper they used to have in the windows? They call it yeah. urinary, mm-hmm. urinary filter or something. Um, and he's just full of, and they go past a, an old pub, a pub with the old boys in there, you know, the old guys nursing their pints. He describes them as scrotum faced Methuselahs, um, <laughs> which is just. I'd like to write that one down. Stuck, stuck with me as such a fantastic, you know, exactly what they get. Um, and that goes for the whole thing, just brilliant, brilliant writing all the way through. And is there a. a- I know, obviously, you talked about the, the, the kind of opening. Was there a, a particular moment in the book that you just thought, wow? Well, that certainly did it. But there's also, there are, there's a revelation uh, about the third of the way through or something uh, that drives the plot, which is horrifying and stomach-dropping, but it's delivered in an almost offhand way. So something something is revealed, and it's almost like you've read on a bit and think, hang on a minute, and you go back, and it's and it's it's very much sort of, the, in, in the nature of the place where there is horror and there is darkness um, but that is just part of the landscape it's almost like taken for granted um, and there are some moments of absolute spine tingling terror for me as well I mean really frightening moments there's a number of kind of set pieces Devil's Day um, is a, a sort of fictional kind of um, event that the, the, the mythology of the, of the area is such that there was a blizzard uh, at some point, hundred or so years ago, mm-hmm. uh, where a number of people died, and the devil is meant to have come down um, from the valley, and so Devil's Day is an annual ceremony they have or ritual they have to kind of banish the devil, um, and it sounds all kind of you know bonkers and kind of you know unrealistic and how would people do that? But it's presented in a way you know that, it, that it's like Christmas or something. It's just like you know people do have rituals that that reflect things. It doesn't mean they necessarily literally yeah. believe it to be true. Um, but the, the, the way then that, that event, the actual Devil's Day event, uh, something happens, absolutely terrifying. I mean, real kind of um, make sure the lights are on um, stuff. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a really, really creepy book. Just a, a quick reminder. Can you remember, Catherine, what The Lonely was about? Uh, yes, yeah, I remember it very well. Um, I mean, as, as Blake Sanks are very similar, kind of about this kind of place on the edge of the country, and 
yeah, just miserable, wet and horrible and kind of... I think it sounds, from, from the sounds of things, it sounds like there was a more of a uh, religious strain. There was a lot of back Catholicism right, okay, in the yeah. Loney. But, um, and it wasn't sort of explicitly frightening, but it was creepy. It yeah. was really creepy. And as, as, as Blake said, I think he's just... He's a brilliant writer, you know. He's, uh, you know, often... You know, you, you don't often... It, it's that rare thing when someone is both a brilliant writer and a brilliant storyteller, and so it's uh, that's that's a great thing about him, I think. Yes, it's a good combination, in <laughs> yeah. a honest, yeah. isn't it? Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's... Um, as, as I said earlier, this idea of it being kind of hard to define on a genre point of view is really interesting because I think it must be quite hard to kind of sell this book almost because... You know, if you bought it as a horror story, you might think, well, mm, what's all this stuff about family? Uh, and if you bought it as a family story, you say, oh, this is too scary. It's, it's, it's a real, gothic is the, is the great description. It really fits yeah. into that kind of gothic mold of unsettling. Um, I, 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 would, I would describe it as rural noir. It's, it's something where, um, you know. Uh, oh. Is, are we, have you just invented I've something? Co- I'm almost certainly not. It's almost certainly been coined before, but that's what I'm going for. <laughs> have you got any labels on it of, um, in Waterstones? No, I think we, 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 there's a whole kind of raft of, I guess, intelligent genre fiction that's a bit more thoughtful and a bit more meaty and a bit less formula. And oh, I think, right, okay. you know, For me, that's the same with sci-fi. You know, some really good, intelligent sci-fi being written. And for me, he falls into that same bracket with kind of noir thriller. So, really interesting. You could call it meaty genre. Yeah, that's what you said. It's like meaty kind of, uh, you know, meaty genre would be... Uh... <laughs> meaty books. It's not going down well in vegan genre, whatever it's yes. called. Right, so we've got our third and final part of our interview with um, Andrew Michael Hurley, and he's going to be talking more about his novel, Devil's Day. Both novels have been optioned for uh, a TV adaption. Uh, how do you feel about the prospect of seeing, seeing these characters on screen? Absolutely uh, amazing, yeah. I can't wait to, to see how what they make of it, really. Um, the Loney's been optioned for film, and Devil's Day's been optioned for TV, so I think there'll be slightly different approaches to to how they how they uh, adapt those those novels. But uh, yeah, it'll just be uh, an incredible moment to see those things, those those characters in that landscape coming coming alive, really. And, and uh, yeah, it'd be amazing. Would you would you want to get involved in the, the creative process? I think I find it very hard to to adapt them. They're they're so fixed in my head. The characters are, are how they are and the stories are structured in a very particular way. I think I'd find it very difficult to sort of uh, disassemble them and put them back together in, in a different a different way. So I w- I'm quite happy to leave the screenwriting to, to someone else. A fresh pair of eyes would, would do a better job, I'm sure, than I would. So if it, if it becomes set in the American Midwest, <laughs> you can live with that? I think... I'm very confident that both the, the um, companies that have bought the rights are very keen to retain both novels' Englishness. So I, I'm, I trust them implicitly that that's what they're going to do. Um, a question on, on genre definitions. Um, I've read a number of reviews, and, and this book has been described as folk horror. It's been described as a horror story. It's been described as supernatural, but it's also been described you know, as a family drama. How, would you, how do you feel about labels like that? I'm quite happy for them for both novels to be called gothic novels. That's absolutely fine. Or horror, um, or family novels. All of those labels, I think, apply to them in, uh, to a certain extent. I don't really consciously think about genre when I'm, when I'm writing. I, 
I think if I was to do that, then you start to kind of worry about where the edges of that lie, and I think that would be quite a restrictive thing to do. So I, I tend to to start with with landscape, and maybe it's those those two landscapes in Deloney and in Devil's Day that have really inevitably meant that those stories have ended up in, in a gothic vein, because those landscapes are always shifting and changing. They are uncanny. They are difficult to to discern and, and to understand. And I think that's probably why both novels have, have maybe ended up being labelled in, in that in their, as, as gothic novels. But um, it's, a, it's a mode which is really interesting for a writer because it allows you to do a number of different things. The main one, I think, for me that's really fascinating is that you can present a world to the reader which is seemingly real. You can name very specific places. You can root it very, very firmly in, in a contemporary world. But you can begin to stretch the edges of, of that reality uh, and play with readers' expectations. Much of the time, we, we when we're reading uh, fiction, we expect characters to have particular motivations behind what they do. But I think in good supernatural fiction, very often that motivation is absent, particularly from the evil. Uh, you know, whatever manifestation that has, whether it's a ghost or a monster or or another person. And I think when when motivation, when reason is absent. That's what makes a story unsettling, and that's something I really wanted to have at the, at the, the heart of, of this novel. You're listening to Brum Radio. That's the sound of a man soaring outside, and that was the final part of our interview with Andrew Michael Hurley, talking about his novel, Devil's Day. We, we managed to get um, at least one sale out of um, for, for that book. We have had a tweet from Feathers and Wings who said it sounds like their sort of book. Oh, So, um, yes, we very much recommend it. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. There are lots of good bookshelves all about. Um, now, in that, uh, that that final part of the interview, um, Andrew was talking there about TV adaptations. Yeah. Um, I know that you, you've had some interest, haven't you, Catherine? Yeah, well, it, I think it's, it's one of those things that just goes on forever and ever. I mean, I don't know what your experience this is, but, you know, someone will say, oh, I'd quite like to do an optional book, and then that goes on for a bit, then someone else says, oh, actually, I'll do it now. And So, yeah, at the moment, I think the first book potentially the BBC are doing it but oh, right, potentially okay. they'll change their minds in a few weeks so who knows who knows but it's 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 kind of interesting I've, I've read a script at some stage of it which was a really weird experience reading yeah. oh, right, okay. Um interpretation like of, of your characters your yeah. characters saying things you didn't get them to say but I'm, I'm kind of quite laid back about that really I just think well it's its own thing I very rarely watch TV or films and think expect it to be the same as the book you yeah, know yeah. so I'm kind of fine you, with that do you write in a visual way I mean do you do you physically picture what these people look like when you're writing not really no no I'm, I'm quite um to the extent that you know yeah I think quite extremely I I, I'm, I don't do that really I don't really have a clear idea of what they look like at all um or what their rooms look like it's all a bit fuzzy you know I don't care. I literally <laughs> don't care um, because it, it's not the part that I'm interested in. No. And so, you know, anytime anyone starts describing what somebody looks like, I just go, I don't care. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, while you were talking, I was thinking it's been a really kind of good kind of couple of years for TV adaptations yeah. of books. And I mean, you know, for me, it, it, it's been the sort of um, Margaret Atwood, uh, what's the one? Handmaid's Tale. Handmaid's Tale. Mm, yeah. Is, has really kind of set the bar really high. Uh, you, you know, it, it's you wouldn't have thought that something like that would make yeah compulsive yeah, yeah. viewing, and especially given the film wasn't that great. Yeah, um, but yeah. they did that really, really well. Can anyone else think of? Uh, well, one of the I've been watching. Um, 
Dirk Gently's Detective Agency, which oh, is yes, Douglas yeah. Adams' novels. Um, and what they've done with that is completely change it. Um, you know, it's it's only tangentially really connected, you know, pretty much the name only. But it's really interesting, and I've really enjoyed it, but I don't regard it as an adaptation. I think there's only, you know, there's definitely two ways you can go about this, isn't there? You can yeah. sort of go, let's be faithful, or you can just go... Um, but either of them could could work or not, I think. Yeah, there's something there's something quite strange about the long form TV drama, isn't it? That it, yeah. it just seems yeah. to suck us in, regardless of like you were saying, you know, Handmaid's Tale didn't work that well as a film or whatever. And you know, I keep watching, you know, The Crown. I have no interest in Queen Elizabeth or her life. If that was, you know, a non fiction yeah. book or a fictionalized book, I'd, and yet it's something about that sucks you in, <laughs> yeah, and it's yeah, very, yeah, yeah. yeah, don't know, it's perhaps slightly worrying. <laughs> <laughs> So um, we were looking forward. We will look forward to the adaptations of *The Lonian Devil's Day*, um, and of course, uh, what was lost. Catherine O'Flynn's cost-winning debut novel, um, which may or may not come to fruition. So <laughs> her facial expression is suggesting an entire indifference to this. At the very least, it would lead to a, a spike in your in your book sales, presumably. Oh, there'd be a complete renaissance. That's what it means. <laughs> if you will. So uh, next up, we have our, our blog spot. We've got Holly Snidden, author of the best-selling book, Try Not to Breathe. Uh, and she's going to be talking about um, thrillers, isn't she? Yes. So, uh, Let's... We're already on that. And so this is uh, Holly Snedden talking about thrillers. Hi, I'm Holly Seddon, author of Try Not to Breathe and Don't Close Your Eyes. I read some amazing thrillers and crime novels this year, and it's really hard to choose my favourites. I'm going to start with You Don't Know Me by Imran Mahmood. Absolutely astonishing piece of work by a debut author. Essentially, it features a, a murder defendant who, at the closing of his trial, has just sacked his barrister and is representing himself and telling his story in his own words. And it really is his own words. It's it's written partially in dialect from South London. It's uh, full of lingo and slang. And it's so incredibly easy to read. It's completely immersing. And I haven't stopped thinking about it since I finished it. And I finished it in August. I can't do it justice. You should just read it. My second choice, technically, well, it's definitely not a crime novel. And it probably doesn't count as a thriller. But... It does have a central mystery and it is thrilling. It's Together by Julie Cohen and it's very cleverly put together. It starts in the present and it moves back and it features a couple and their secret and the layers of secrets that have um, been built up through their lives. And as it gets closer to the past, you eventually unravel what their secret is. And I did not see it coming. I read this book on holiday and actually finished it on the plane ride home. And I stayed on the tarmac, finishing the last few pages, refusing to get any of my stuff out of the overhead baggage compartments because I had to finish the last page. That's how good it was. And my third choice is Sirens by Joseph Knox. Pure, filthy crime thriller. I loved it so much. It takes place in Manchester, uh, mostly at night or at times and places that feel like night. It's the dingy side of the city. It's the dirty, dangerous side. And the protagonist, the detective Aidan Waits, is himself kind of dirty. He's tainted from his background, his behaviour. And he is fascinating. And I'm really excited about the follow-up, The Smiling Man, which is another Aidan Waits 
book that uh, is coming out this year. And there's some other books this year that are coming out that I'm really excited about. And it's one of the best things about being an author is getting to read stuff early. And it's such a privilege. So I'd say, firstly, Take Me In by Sabine Durant. I finished reading this over Christmas and I absolutely loved it. It's, she's just so good. It features a parent's worst nightmare. It features secrets within a relationship. It's about the lies that we tell ourselves and the positions that we put ourselves in through those lies. And it it was heart-stopping at times. I loved it. Anything You Do Say by Gillian McAllister is one of my top reads. Um, It's out in ebook already and it's coming out in paperback at the end of the month. It's an absolutely intricate look at what you set in motion when you make one decision. So a woman out for the night being pestered in a club by a seedy guy and on the way home she hears footsteps behind her and she's terrified. And she turns and she pushes And the guy tumbles down some stairs and then she's faced with a choice. Does she call for help? Does she phone 999? Or does she conceal what she's done? And at that point, the novel splits and it's just so clever. Dark Pines by Will Dean is out 4th of January on paperback and it's already out in ebook. Absolutely brilliant crime thriller set in a small Swedish town. It's really claustrophobic. It's really evocative. The sort of detective role is is taken up by Tuva Moodison, who is a death journalist who I really like. She is so smart. She's sarcastic. She's brave, borderline reckless at times. She hates the forest, yet she has to investigate murders taking place in the depths of the forest. And it's just brilliant. I loved it. Um, And lastly, The Craftsman by Sharon Bolton. It was my uh, first book by the author and um, and it won't be my last. She does an amazing job at handling two different times, 1969 and 1999. It's about a case that a young uh, female police officer investigated in the 60s and goes back to kind of finish the job in the 90s. It looks at witchcraft, it looks at urban myth, suburban myth, it looks at local legend. It's really thrilling, really evocative, really northern, and I just loved it. And that's coming out in April. Happy New Year! Holly Seddon, uh, author of best-selling debut, Try Not to Breathe, and she was talking about um, her favourite thrillers. Yeah, stuff to look uh, forward to next year and uh, Holly has also got her second book Don't Close Your Eyes has just been released in paperback mm. so thank you very much for that Holly uh, now we're uh, we're going to be talking um, we don't have a debut uh, of, the, of the month this month but we're going to be talking about uh, a little bit more about the year about last year seemed a long time ago so our favourite books of last year and what titles we're looking forward to in 2018 mm. Uh, should we start with uh, Catherine? I, I like that moment of suspense with the microphone. <laughs> so, um, what did you what did you enjoy most last year? Well, uh, I think I enjoyed. I, I was looking back at the books I'd reviewed for this program, which puzzled me a little bit. As far as I know, we've done a programme every month, but I only seem to have reviewed about seven books, so I'm not sure what's happened there. But anyway, aside from that hole in time, which none of us are going to mention, um, I think of the ones I reviewed this year, I think I enjoyed Homegoing by Yagayasi, the, perhaps the most. It was not enjoyed, it was not particularly enjoyed, isn't really the right word, but it's the one that stayed with me and had yeah. a big impact. Um, 
and I suppose of the ones I read that weren't to do with the show, apart from Peter and Jane, um, it would probably be Zadie Smith's Swing Time, which I know is a bit of a you know obvious one to pick. But I did I did really love that. She one. has a book no, of essays coming out this year. Yes, she does. Yes, yeah. she that's, does, and her essays are are great. Mm. Um, in terms of looking ahead, do you want me to talk a little bit about what I'm yeah, looking yeah, for? Yeah, please do. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to Zadie Smith's essays, but I'm also looking forward <laughs> to. Um, the excellent Irish writer Donal Ryan has got a new novel coming out called From a Low and Quiet Sea. He's written, um, he wrote The Spinning Heart was his first novel, I think. Um, and then some, something about December, I think the other one was called, had December in title. Anyway, they're all sort of set, I think, in the same area, in Ireland, the same town. And he's just brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that. And there's also um, a couple of collections of there's a Dennis Johnson collection coming out and a William Trevor collection. So I'm looking forward to those short stories too. That's me. Excellent. What about you, Mike? What have you been well, enjoying? So um, I bought in a couple of books that I, I, I thought that I was going to talk about for my book of the year. Um, so my, my first one is uh, The Hacking of the American Mind uh, by Robert Lustig, uh, which is fantastic. He is the author of... Um, uh, Fat Chance, which is like a, was a huge bestseller, and his YouTube um, lecture. Basically, um, I mean, this one is essentially about how corporations are, are sort of using our biochemistry against us, and, and it's a, an absolutely amazing read. Um, also, uh, I got non-fiction. Oh, that's non-fiction. Yes, I also got uh, Baking with Kafka um, by Tom Gould. Uh, he does cartoons for the Guardian and New Statesman and lots of other things, and. Um, he does. He tends to do. Uh, he does cartoons about all sorts of things, but he seems to be really spot on about novels and novelists. Oh, he's the guy like who's in the literature pages, isn't he? He's yeah. always this is really it, yeah, good. Yeah. yeah, and uh, he he really really makes me laugh. Um, there's you know just all sorts of things. I, I won't go into it. It's a beautiful I'll, I'll looking it. book. If nothing and, else. Um, I'll, I'll describe them to you, and then you won't laugh. So it's not <laughs> funny. But actually, I think my my actual um, piece of fiction of the year. Just came to me, and it was, was the um, cat person um, short story that was in the New Yorker. I don't know whether anybody this read that. This was a big phenomenon, wasn't it? Everyone, yeah. Like, so it was written by uh, Christine Rupian, and um, short story about a, a relationship. Um, and you'd think to yourself, you know, in, in this day and age, you know, who can get worked up over a short story? You know, they're, mostly they're, they're my kind of next to poetry um, <laughs> you could torture me with it but this was an absolutely not only was it well written but it got people talking which I thought in 2017 mm. at this stage in the 21st century we can get worked up about a short story and it was amazing it, the power of it if you haven't read it I absolutely recommend that you read it because it, it really divided people mm. Um, about how they... It, well, it's, it's, it's essentially talking about um, relationships between the sexes and it really divided people. And I was just... Whatever you think about the story and about its protagonists, just the fact that people can get excited and, and you know, it could be trending on Twitter, I thought was amazing. Uh, and I suppose, uh, in terms of, you know, books to look forward to, she's got... Um, uh, Kristen has got uh, managed to get a, a six, seven-figure uh, 
book deal out of this. And the New York, the, the, the New Yorker must have known it was going to mm. be this big mm. thing because it was perfectly timed. This woman hadn't got a book deal. This came out, and now she's got this mega book deal. And it's going to be huge because she managed to capture something uh, in, a, in a way that I, I just don't think I've ever seen before and really sort of caught the mood. So is the, is the new book going to be sh- more short stories? I don't know. I don't know. It might be a novel. But I, we, we don't know. All we know so far is that she's got this massive book deal. And my, my second book um, for this year is uh, Lucy Mag- Mangan, um, who is an author from... Um, she's a journalist for The Guardian, and also she writes a stylist, and she's really lovely. Um, and she's written a book called Bookworm. She's a huge fan of um, of kids' books and, you know, that kind of lovely, warm feeling that you get from reading kids' books. And this is a book about her favourite... I suppose about her right, reading journey through life and about her favourite children's books as well. So sort of that's, uh, what, reading them as an adult or the effect of as a I suppose child. a little bit of both, really, but... Um, you know, she, she describes it as a, a memoir of childhood reading, so I suppose it, it, it's, it's talking about that, you know, her experience of, of reading as a child. Fantastic. How about you, Blake? Um, well, I've, um, I've had a great year. I mean, just for this show alone, I'm, one of my high points has definitely been uh, Greatest Hits by Laura Barnett with the soundtrack by, of course, um, yes, yes. by Catherine Williams, which has just stayed with me uh, so much. And I've just spent most of this year... Instructing people to read it, and I believe that Catherine Williams is actually writing a novel herself. She is, yeah. I, I don't know anything about it. I just follow her on Twitter, and she's she's about halfway through by her own reckoning. So I think uh, that will be something that will be really interesting because she is her her music is very much little stories. They're not necessarily autobiographical. I think that she's very good at weaving those. Um, other things I've really enjoyed. Well, I really enjoyed Devil's Day, which we've talked about today, um, and other books that we've reviewed on the show. Hold Back the Stars by Katie Kahn. Um, and then a couple of, of thrillers that I've really, really stayed with me. One is The Dry by Jane Harper, which is an Australian novel about um, a a drought in a small town. It very much evokes, I don't know if you saw the BBC series Top of the Lake yeah. a few years ago, uh, that kind of impression, that kind of, um, you know, a kind of counterpoint to Devil's Day in a way. It's like an Australian rural, you know, dry, parched, desert, vast landscapes with, with you know, sinister goings on. Uh, and she also has a sequel that's coming out in the UK this year. I managed to get hold of an Australian copy called Forces of Nature, um, which is... Um, the same kind of idea of nature, but this time uh, very much the away from civilization. It's about kind of uh, uh, bushland and, and vegetation. So it's a very kind of it feels like a kind of very much a sort of opposite to it physically. Um, and and finally, um, books I've really enjoyed uh, six stories by Matt Weselowski, uh, and this is a book that is is very much a kind of something of the phenomenon of our age of the internet so it's a kind of Rashomon style story of six different takes on the same event um, as told through a podcast so the the podcaster is interviewing uh, people about something that had happened decades ago and they're telling their different stories and we have to kind of uh, piece together the, the true if you like story from that and um, it works brilliantly I really really enjoyed it it's one of my highlights of the year and again he has a sequel to that or a second follow up to that called Hydra which has just been released how about you Stuart your yeah, favourite so, your favourite from last year <coughs> well there's, a, there's only really one that sticks out for me which is 
the Lincoln in the Bardo, George Saunders book. Um, I think we. I've been a fan of his for a long time. He's only ever done stories, and and you worry, don't you, that they're going to try and write a novel and it won't work. This was a phenomenal novel, and you know, just such an evocative story. But you know, it's hard to describe it. But I would read it. It's just it's such a good book. Um, I think looking ahead, I mean, the other thing that's really pleasing me is just how many kind of local authors are springing up and succeeding. And, you know, there's, there was Gillian McAllister who had her first book last year. Oh, of course, She's yeah. Everything but the, the truth. It landed so well. And her second one's out this month, actually. We do like Gillian. Anything you do say. Well, Holly Seddon actually talked about yeah, that. Yeah, she so. did, she did. But, you know, she's just really, really good. Um, the other one that sticks out is Kit Duval, who, you know, oh, uh, my name is Leon, really, really successful, really, really good book. She's following that up this March. Uh, her new book's The Trick to Time, set in Birmingham, set among the Irish community. Should be really interesting. 1970s, I think. And then the other, the other author I'm really glad is coming back with another book. He's been around a while, Jim Crace. Mm-hmm. So um, Harvest was going to be his last book. There was this kind of rumour that that was it. Um, and he's had a good break, but his new one, The Melody's out in February, and, and I'm really looking forward to reading that. The only other book I want to flag up, um, more for kind of interest rather than I'm not sure it's going to be brilliant, but uh, Bill Clinton and James <laughs> Patterson have combined, <laughs> have combined uh, to bring out a, a gripping thriller called The President is Missing. And uh, What's sure it about? <laughs> about a president, and guess what? Um, I think there's a president we all wish would go missing, but I'm not sure it's Bill Clinton. Anyway, so I think that's going to be a, a really big book and um, should be quite interesting to see what it's like. In a similar vein, actually, one of the books I'm looking forward to this year is William Gibson's Agency, um, which is, you know, William Gibson's known for his sort of sci-fi. And, yeah. and, uh, but this is set in a, in a futuristic world where Hillary Clinton won the 2016 election. So we can all imagine how, how that might, uh, might have played out. And obviously, uh, with 2018, I'm going to continue reading ropey thrillers in the, uh, my bid. Disappointing thrillers, in the hope of, of finding the one that, that, uh, that kind of lives up to the hype. Well, we've certainly had some recommendations that you can track out. Yes, no, absolutely. I this look month. Those up. Yep. So it looks like we've come to the end of the show. Uh, they look like they enjoyed themselves. Stuart it looks... Unsure, Catherine. Did you enjoy it? Delightful. (laughs) (laughs) Catherine looks like she's about ready to go to sleep. (laughs) Uh, And uh, of course, so thank you to everybody for coming in. Uh, Thank you as always to Blake for being Blake and doing all the the but he's brought in some very nice muffins for us. Um, So uh, they're they're banana, I believe. Banana and apple muffins. Yeah, banana and apple muffins, and the recipe will, um, I'm sure. Yeah, the recipes. I'm not oh. posting it up on the, the <laughs> blog. You, you, you might do. I'm going to have a book. I don't have copyright you give for them it. them a bookish name? Couldn't they be like, um, <laughs> I don't know, uh, muffins? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is great. This is this is. Uh, Radio gold. Yeah, um, they could be. Um, Leave it, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> celebrated novelist <laughs> Mike Gale. <laughs> Demonstrating his trademark fluency <laughs> with words yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, anyway, we were the Bum Radio Book Show. Thank you very much for listening. Take care.
Thanks for listening to this Brum Radio podcast. If you've enjoyed it, please consider joining our listener supporters. You can do this by clicking the support tab on our website or go direct to Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash Brum Radio. Brum Radio shows are streamed online at the Brum Radio Mixcloud page and you can find more podcasts at brumradio.com.